Colossians chapter 2. Remember, you've got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you have go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, any other type of uh, memory aid that you have to remember where the books of the Bible are. Um, that I learned that years and years ago, and that's still I, I, how I remember those four little epistles from Paul. So very important, uh, so full of the wonderful message of our Heavenly Father. Just two verses today, Colossians chapter 2. You remember, I think it was last week we did three whole books of the Old Testament, didn't we? First, Second Samuel, and First Chronicles. Uh, get the other side now. Chapter 2, Colossians, verses 6 and 7. Will you stand if you're able as we prepare to read the Word of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit that we might have understanding that as we read your word, these few simple words for us today, that they would fill our lives, that we would act in accordance with that, Lord, that we would be alive in Christ and we would demonstrate that in all that we do and say and with the attitude of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This is God's inspired word for us today. Please have a seat. These two little verses, Paul outlines the entire book of Colossians and what he wants us to do. Christians are to grow in Christ. Their lives are to be filled with attitudes of graciousness and gratitude and thankfulness. Now, Paul reminds us here that receiving Christ is not the conclusion of the work of God in our lives. In fact, it is the beginning of the work of God in our lives. It is that first point. Now, he has brought us along to the point where our eyes are open, but now justification has come upon us. We are no longer bound to the chains of sin. We are no longer slaves to unrighteousness. Now we are slaves to righteousness and the things of God. We have been completely turned, given a new heart. All of those things, a new creation, new is the word, and now we are beginning the spiritual life. So often we think, oh, I came to Christ, uh, you know, it was 20 years ago, and, and it, it was great. Well, what's happened since then? What's the Lord been doing in your life since then? Well, I, uh, I came to Christ 20 years ago, and it was, it was great. No, we have to understand. That that's the beginning, and now the Lord is at work in you, and now there's that strange mixture of your efforts and your disciplines and the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification, that we would grow in the things of Christ now that we are new creations. Receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior begins a relationship that will never end. It begins a relationship that will never end. It starts in this world and it continues on for eternity, for all eternity. Here we have this wonderful word, walk. 
walk. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you are to walk in him. Paul uses this term on a regular basis. We read it in, 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 uh, uh, in unison uh, when we read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but stands in the, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God, and he meditates on it day and night. We are to walk in him. This is a regular, ongoing pattern of behavior. And this is what this word signifies. It is to live in him. You have been born in him. Now you are to live in him each and every day. First John chapter 2 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Well, those are tough words. If I say that I believe in Christ... If I say that my life has been changed, if I'm going to profess that, then the word says I have to walk in Christ. Well, how am I to walk in Christ? You walk the same way that he walked. He walked in love, and he walked in wisdom, and he walked in truth, and he walked in the spirit, and he walked in holiness. He walked in all of these ways. These things were demonstrated in perfection in Christ's life. Now, um, I dare say they are not demonstrated in perfection in my life. Uh, but we work on it. That is the pattern for us to strive after. Okay? Some days we get it really, really right, and other days uh, we're pretty far off the mark. But all of those things describe the pattern of Christ and therefore the pattern that we are to follow in our own lives. Now, the next thing we see here is that all growth and progress in the Christian life must be consistent with its beginning. Consistent with its beginning. How am I to walk? You are to walk in the newness. In the newness of what? In the newness of what Christ had done in your life. Here is the example and here is the power of what the Lord has done. Now you are to walk in the same pattern of behavior, in the same power that changed your life. That is how you are to walk each and every day. Your life began in this fashion when you began to profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now your life has to be consistent with that profession of faith. Verse 7, it says, Having been firmly rooted, firmly rooted, and now being built up and established in your faith. I think of my fifth grade English teacher. And, and if you were an English teacher, and this is how you taught, then Lord bless you, I give you thanks, because this is how Mrs. Tyler taught me. Mrs. Tyler was the um, uh, archetype of English teachers for those who murdered the English language and those who had to learn the English language. She had a bell on her desk, you know, one of those bellhop bells, and every time you would use a slang term, any time you would say ain't, uh, anytime you would use an improper word in a sentence or uh, not a complete sentence, she would ding that bell. Okay, and, and you know, the first day the bell went off so, ding, 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 so many times. But as the year went on, the bell went off less and less. And if you were giving a presentation before the class, oh, she had the bell right there. What do you think you're doing? Okay, you can't use that term. And, and she drove it into our heads what the proper English was. And, and that's how I began to understand the, the way that the English language is constructed. It was reinforced in my mind when I took Russian. 
because you had to learn the parts of language in Russian, and it was really there that it came uh, to, to, to clarity of thought that, oh, that is a participle. Oh, that's a passive participle. That's a perfect participle. Okay, that's, that's the forms of the verbs. And then when I took Greek, all that stuff helped as well. So when we come to here, we find that Paul is saying, he's not commanding us, it's not an imperative, be firmly rooted, be built up, be established. These are participles. These are perfect participles, having been rooted. Having been rooted. It's not a command that you be rooted. There's an assumption that you have already, you are already rooted because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now there is an assumption that you will grow in that relationship with Christ. If it's true here that you're a Christian, it will show in your life. That's what Paul lays out for us. Since you have already been rooted, you ought to walk like him. And rooted, we go back into the Psalms, rooted like a tree that is planted next to what? Streams of living water. And there it is the roots that drink in the nourishment from the streams. The streams of living water, the streams of the word of God. We are to drink these things in that we might be rooted deeper and deeper and more firmly established in the things of God. And then we are what? We are being built up in him and established in your faith. Being built up. How are we built up in the things of Christ? We are built up when we walk according to Christ. We are not being built up when we don't walk according to Christ. Okay, now you remember, maybe you had one, maybe you still have one. The the bracelets, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Okay, it's a good question to ask. Okay, what would Jesus do? We are being built up in Christ when we walk as he walked. When we come to an issue in our life and we, we ask that question, what would Christ do here? When I do it that way, I am being built up. When I come to a conclusion, when I come to a situation and I go, what would Jesus do? And I do it the other way, I'm not being built up. I might learn from that because of my error, but I'm not being strengthened in Christ because I'm moving away from Christ. When we follow him, whether it is easy or difficult, then we are being built up in Christ as you walk in him. Paul, Remember, Paul's not saying... He wants you to grow. He is saying, you will grow. If you're a believer, you will grow. If you're a human, you will eat. If you're a human, you will breathe. If you are alive, you will do certain things. If you are a Christian, you will grow in Christ. Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish theologian, I quoted him for the first time just just a week or so ago. A very interesting guy. On this particular issue, he wrote, I am persuaded that nothing is thriving in my soul unless it is growing. Nothing is thriving in my soul unless it is growing. Is your Christian life thriving? McShane says if it's not growing, it's not thriving. If you're not becoming more and more built up in Christ, if you're not maturing more and more in him, it's not thriving. And you as a person then are not thriving if you're a believer. So you have to grow in your faith. Paul also says you have to believe, obviously. You have to believe these things if you're going to have faith. Truth is found in Scripture. Belief is always categorized, not just as abstract, but as real, in a sense, real-life belief. And and with that belief comes comes with it trust and the application of belief. You can say, I trust God. 
I trust in Jesus Christ. But does it show up in your life? You know? Little boy on the diving board. Dad's treading water in the deep end. He says, come on, jump in. and says, I believe you're going to catch me, Dad. I trust you're going to catch me. But the boy doesn't actually trust until what? He jumps in. Okay? Then he has complete trust in his father. Not just to say, oh, Dad... I know the water's deep and you're such a good swimmer and, and you've been treading water for 20 minutes while I stand up here on this diving board um, vacillating back and forth. Not that the seven-year-old is going to use vacillating back and forth, but you get the idea. He says, do you trust me? Yes, Dad. Then jump. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get wet today or something like that. Jump. You trust, then you jump. The way we achieve this is we get rooted in the word we feed on the word we let it produce within us the activity the activity gives us conviction conviction that christ is who he claimed to be and then we claim his promises and we walk in those promises okay walk in the walk that he walked we walk in the steps that he walked you walk in him you are built up in him you are more established in him call it maturity christian growth you see it You see the Lord is faithful, you trust him even more. The end of verse 7. And overflowing with gratitude. Now we're talking about walking in Christ. We're being rooted in Christ, being built up in Christ, establishing in our faith, just as we were instructed, instructed from the word. And this should be the attitude of the Christian. Overflowing with. With gratitude, not just grateful hearts, because it, it, it would say, and with grateful hearts. But what's that little, little word in there? Overflowing. When was the last time you had an overflowing coffee pot? Okay. If you've ever made coffee here at the church, then you know that there's a reservoir. It's a bun coffee maker. There's a reservoir on one side. And that it always has water in it, and it's hot water. That's how you can get coffee right away. Now, every once in a while, you pour too much coffee or too much water into the reservoir, and that comes out, and what happens? The pot overflows. I remember Mr. Smith, Jeff Smith, bless his heart. He would make coffee every morning when he, you know, he, he got the donuts. He's, he's 90 years old, and he's getting the donuts. He comes in the morning, he makes coffee, and, and I don't think a, a week went by that he didn't overflow the coffee pot, Okay. But, but he, he was doing it every week, and, and I wasn't going to get in his way. Okay? But that's the way it should be. It should overflow in our lives. Why do things overflow? Because there is too much that's already been poured into one space. The same thing if we walk in him, if we're firmly rooted in him, being built up in him, established in him, instructed in him, it will overflow. It will come pouring out of our lives in every area that we can imagine. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. Gratefulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. When he describes, Paul, what it is to live and to walk in the Lord, growing, believing, thanksgiving. Does your life overflow with thanksgiving? That's a mark of spiritual maturity, spiritual health. Is there no thanksgiving in your life? A mark of spiritual deficiency. If you walk around thinking you're, you're not thankful for anything, you, you, you're not thankful for the Lord, you're not praising him, you're not doing anything, that, that's spiritual deficiency. Okay. 
There's something missing. Your either focus is wrong or you're not walking, being rooted, and being built up in the things of Christ. Many of us here today have a great deal of things to be thankful for. We've been enormously blessed, enormously blessed. We're blessed in terms of our status, influencing a community, our position, and and a variety of other things. And, And we all know people who do not worship the Lord, who have been blessed in the same way that we have, but they don't come to the Lord with hearts of overflowing thanksgiving. They are not thankful. In fact, they are bitter. They're out in the world, and they have all these blessings, but they're not happy, and they're bitter. Why? I don't know. Maybe they want more. Maybe they think they've, they've gotten enough out of life. I don't know. I can tell you one thing, that a person who has so much and is not thankful, they have never seen someone who has nothing and is thankful. You ask all the people that went to the Dominican Republic last year what it was like to see people who were believers, who had nothing and were thankful. You go to Haiti and you watch people who have walked four miles up the hill and down the hill in Haiti. That's the only way to go like this and like this since four or five in the morning. And they walk to the work site and they're given this big hole. It's about this big. It has a big wide blade on it. And they begin to dig and they sing non-stop for hours as they dig in the sun and they are singing praises to the Lord because they have the opportunity to come and and work for a fellow believer to to dig a place for their house where they've never been to Spoo Hill where they've seen you know an individual who is so excited about people from his church coming to his house and building a cistern why is he so excited because two or three years ago he was sitting in his front yard with derision, looking at what, with derision upon those people and the foreigners who would come down and do that because his heart was not enlivened by the things of Christ. But in that time, his heart was melted and he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is true and then accepted him as their Lord and Savior, became part of that church. Now his heart is overflowing with, with joy, even though he has nothing. But he sees the Lord at work through the church that the Lord has called him to be part of. What should be the life attitude of the Christian? The life attitude of the Christian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What do we deserve? Oh, we know well enough what we deserve. God's wrath. What do we get as believers? His grace and his love. His grace and his love. Thank you, Lord, for the riches I'm enjoying, for the life I'm living, for the walk that I have the opportunity to walk. For the grace that I can live and exist in. Overflowing with gratitude. I trust everybody's here is aware of what we're doing as a church in our campaign. Next week, we're going to have Commitment Sunday. And that will be the time when everybody has the opportunity to make a commitment to the campaign for the next three years. Now, you can do that in any number of ways. You can do it with a uh, um, weekly. You can do it monthly. You can do it quarterly. You can do it every six months. You can do it once a year. You can do it with one large gift. It all depends upon uh, your situation. You can write a check for it. You can do it in other things like stocks and and bonds and property and, and things like that. If you're sitting there with a piece of property and you decide, oh, you know, this is the time. I've, I've held on to this, and, and this is a, 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 a place that really is, is serving the Lord and wants to do it, and I'm going to sell that property off, give those proceeds as part of the campaign. Fantastic. But it's the business of you and the Lord as you sit down together 
and as he works on your heart, what it is that he wants you to do. You may say, well, Randy, uh, times are tough, you know. I live on dividend interest income, and it's down 30%, 38%. Well, then, right now, your, your gift will probably be down 38%. But in 18 months, if it's back up, then, well, you committed $5, let's say, to the campaign. But in 18 months, you're able to give $8 to the campaign because your income increases. Okay? Those are just the realities of where we live, yet we as a church are called to go and move forward to do this ministry. I want to tell you what I've learned from my pastor friends as I've talked to them about this. They say, Randy, how you doing? Well, this is what we're involved in, and this is what we want to do. And everybody's got a story. You know, ministers are good for stories. And they say, well, let me tell you, Randy. And this is what I've heard time and time again, best illustrated in my my friend in Florida, Bill Stevens, who has done three campaigns. He said, Randy, at the end of the campaign, when you go and you build the building or you do the ministry, whatever you do, the church will gather for a time of prayer. And when you pray and when that building or whatever is dedicated, there'll be three major types of people there. There'll be the people who are clapping and they're they're glad because it's part of their church and they're really not in tune with what's going on but they know what it is and then they gave some money he said then there'll be the people who are really clapping because they really gave they understood what it was about and they wanted to see it move forward and they gave then there'll be the people and they'll be around the edges they might be clapping they might not he said but the tears will be running down their face said, because they sacrificed. They knew that the Lord had called them to something that was far beyond them, and, and they cannot control the tears because they reordered their lives for three years in order to, to step up and do what the Lord had called them to do. He said, you'll see every group. You know, the Lord will use people in a variety of ways. I want to tell you today that about ten days ago, we had uh, the officers at a service, elders, deacons, and trustees, and a commitment time for them. And according to the latest giving amounts, they have committed just over $400,000. That's the elders and the deacons and the trustees. There are still a few that are coming in because they've been traveling. That average is just over $22,000 a giving unit in pledge. The leaders are called to do this first. Elders, deacons, and trustees to set the example. When David began to raise funds and things for the temple that his son would build, he stood up and he said, this is what I'm going to give. He said, you as leaders are going to get on board first, and this is what's going to happen, and then the people will follow. We've already had over $400,000 committed to the campaign. Next week will be the congregation's opportunity. It'll be a special service, a time filled with prayer and rejoicing and overflowing with gratitude. Because that's the type of believers we want to be. Let's pray. Lord, as we come today, your word is clear. We will continue to grow. We will grow as believers. We will be built up. We will walk in the way of Christ So often in our lives, it'll take a reordering of our priorities. We won't walk like the world walks. We'll walk in a different fashion.
We won't hold the same priorities as non-believers do because you take first place in our lives. But we will also see as we walk in obedience, you do fabulous things in our lives. You will guide us and direct us. You will keep us safe. You will move us in ways that we wouldn't have chosen ourselves, but yet in those ways you are more clearly manifest in our lives. Your grace is more clearly seen. Your generosity and blessings are more fully experienced. Lord, as we come, and we've seen what the leaders have done so far, and we come next week, Pray that each of us will spend time this week on our knees before you. What is it that you're calling us to do? That your ministry and the word of Jesus Christ and his love might be fully demonstrated in who we are and what we do and the priorities we as a church set. And that, Lord, you in all things would receive the glory and the praise. And that the attitude of each of our lives would be thank you, Thank you, thank you. And that, Lord, the tears that roll down our faces are tears that would be born out of sacrifice of love for you and what you have done for us. In all of this, Lord, we give you praise and glory in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. When time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. Let's stand and sing 270, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary.